0: series called Cornerstone on Purpose, and we're looking at the the purpose statement of Cornerstone, uh, if you will. So that's where we've been for the last several weeks. You heard Pastor Matt talk a little bit about that at the beginning. The first part of the series, we talked about loving God and the importance of loving God. It's uh, pretty easy for us to know that we are loved by God but it's easy to forget that it's important for us also to reciprocate that love, that we also uh, are to cultivate a love for God in our own lives and in our own hearts, which can be hard to do at times ultimately because We love ourselves sometimes uh, more than we love God. We love being God of our own lives. So we need to be people who love God and then we need to be people who grow together and then we need to be people who serve others. That is the purpose of Cornerstone. That's why we exist and that's why we are here. We're currently in the second week of the Grow Together part uh, of the series. And last week we got to celebrate together as the body of Christ out at low Pat Gong Park, and that was an awesome time, incredible time. It was I was blown away by the number of people that came out to that park just to spend time worshiping God together and and eating and fellowshipping, all of that. It was really, really awesome, and that was a perfect way to kick off the second part of this series, which is the Grow Together uh, part of the series. But today, we're going to continue in that, the second week of the Grow Together, and we're going to be looking here at the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, to see another aspect of what it means for us as the body of Christ to grow together. And we're gonna be talking about the importance of accountability. More specifically, we're gonna be looking at how we can become better at bearing each other's burdens. That's what we're called to do as the body of Christ, right? We're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is what we are supposed to do. And uh, it can be hard for us to do that at times if we're honest with each other. So I grew up actually not too far from here at all. And my dad was a pastor and he was my hero, Initially, that was what inspired me to want to be a pastor myself. My dad was a pastor and I wanted to continue in the family trade, if you will. My grandfather was a pastor, my dad was a pastor. I wanted to be a pastor. Later on, I understood the importance of receiving a call for yourself. It's not just something that you continue in. It's not just something that's passed down to you. It's actually something that you need to know that God has called you to do. But I wanted to be a pastor because my dad was a pastor, and he was my hero. That being said, my dad wasn't perfect, not at all. You see, the atmosphere in my home began to change when I turned 12 years old, and suddenly things began to unravel. At a young age, I quickly realized that things were not going to end well. I quickly understood that things were going to fall apart at one point or another, and the weight of the ministry began to take its toll on my dad, and ultimately, the weight of ministry began to take its toll on my family. That's just the reality sometimes uh, that ministry can have on the life of a pastor and on the life of his family. So the weight of the ministry began to take its toll on my father and my family, and it took almost 10 years from the time I was 12 that I realized that things weren't going well and things weren't going to end well. It took almost 10 years, a decade, for everything to come to a head. 10 years of constantly living in fear that at some point, life as I knew it would come to an end. That's a long time. 10 years of my life of a teenager where I thought, man, at any moment, things could come apart. At any moment, things could fall apart. But nobody knew that, right? We're a pastor's family. We could never actually show people that that was the reality of what it was like living in our home. And it happened in what seemed like overnight, right? It was a shock to everybody else, everybody else except my family. We'd been waiting for this moment for a long time. My dad left the church, left the ministry, and left my family. It seemed like it just happened overnight. It became such a shock to the church, and it was such a shock to the people who were closest to us, but my family, my mom, we knew this was gonna happen at some point. And I remember in the wake of the fallout, all the terrible things that were said about my family, all the terrible things that were said about my family who had spent over 15 years ministering in this church and pouring out our lives for these people. It was a lot to take in. It was hard for me as a young kid It's a process, and it kind of really hits home tonight as we look at this passage in Galatians, and it's a question that I want to ask us as we begin looking at this uh, passage and as we start talking about what it means for us to grow together and how we can live in accountability and how we together as the body of Christ can bear each other's burdens. But the question I want to ask is that why is it that sometimes church doesn't feel like a safe place to get help? Why does it seem like that church should be a place of healing but sometimes church is where the most harm is done? Why are there so many people sitting in the pews here tonight whose lives are on the edge of falling apart and we don't even know it? Why is that the case? Why are there so many people who are sitting in the seats that you're sitting in right now who are hurting? But nobody knows what's really taking place. And how can we create a church that allows us to grow together through even the most difficult of circumstances? In Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, he gives us some helpful pointers in carrying each other's burdens. Because we want to be a church that gets better at carrying each other's burdens. Amen? So let's read together in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So, this is a passage of scripture that many of us may be familiar with. It's the passage of scripture that you and I are going to be looking at tonight so we can get better at this. So, we can get better at being the body of Christ and actually bearing each other's burdens, coming alongside of each other, and being attentive to the needs of those around us as opposed to just what's going on in our own lives. So, as we begin considering how to create a church that is a safe place for those who are struggling, I think it's helpful for us to look at what's taking place here in the church of Galatia so that we can avoid some of the pitfalls that they fell into. History kinda has a way of repeating itself, right? And so if we read God's word, the hope is that we can avoid some of those same pitfalls. Ultimately, we end up kind of falling into the same trap. That's why we have God's word, hopefully as a reminder to us, to point us the way that we should be going and so that we can become the church that God has called us to be. But if we can look at this letter, that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, hopefully we can become better at bearing each other's burdens. Better burden bearers, say that five times fast. Better burden bearers. So as we read through this letter, we actually immediately get a sense of Paul's forcefulness. If you've ever read through the book of Galatians before, Paul is intense, really, really intense. He, he realizes that there are false teachers who have infiltrated the church And that the people there in the church are at risk of believing in another gospel that would ultimately lead them astray and could cause them to lose their salvation. And Paul is not playing games. It's clear that he's pretty intense. At one point he even says to the church in Galatia, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has lied to you? You bought it hook, line, and sinker. Who has lied to you? It's clear that he's not playing games and that he's determined to set things straight. You see, there was a group of individuals called the Judaizers. We'll call them church people, right? You know, the people who know how to do church. Church people, religious people. Paul called them Judaizers, and these are people who took the Old Testament law and tried to apply it to the New Testament church that you needed to actually kind of combine both the old law and the new law, so to speak. And so they were creating this different gospel that was not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these Judaizers infiltrated the church and they started adding requirements to the gospel as a way of measuring one's faith. We love to measure things. We do. We love to measure things. We love there to be evidence and proof of certain things, and so it's easy for us to get sucked into this trap just like the church in Galatia did. Like the Galatians, believe it or not, this is true, but like the Galatians, freedom actually becomes really unsettling for us. Freedom becomes really unsettling for us. We feel as though there needs to be some sort of moral guideline, don't we? We feel like there has to be some sort of standard that we need to measure up to. We're afraid of church becoming a free-for-all and sinners showing up. That would be a horrible thing, right? We're afraid of it becoming a free-for-all and we forget that freedom in Christ isn't a license to sin, but it's actually an opportunity for us to love. It's an opportunity for us to love those who are living in sin as opposed to having some sort of impossible standard for them to meet before they come to know Christ. That's often what we do in church. It has to, people have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way, do certain things for us to be able to identify them as believers, right? They have to clean up their act, so to speak, and when they look like a Christian, that's when they're a Christian. We, we are uncomfortable with this idea of freedom to some extent because it takes us out of the driver's seat. It takes us out of being in control and it allows us, it, when, we, when we give over to freedom, it causes Jesus to be the judge, not us to be the judge, right? And so we get uncomfortable with this idea of freedom. And now that we understand a little bit more about what is taking place here in the church, we can see how we relate to that as well. So let's take a closer look at this passage so we can become a church who is better at holding each other accountable, better at bearing each other's burdens. It is so critical for our eternal salvation that we have people in our lives who can come alongside of us in moments of difficulty and bear our burdens. If we can't do that, man, I just don't know that in our own strength, in our own ability, that we can make it. But we need other believers who can help bear burdens at different moments and seasons uh, of our lives. So I want to give you the main point here at the very beginning, okay? This is the main point. If you get nothing else out of tonight, here's the main point. Write it down, and then you can do whatever you want with it. But here is the main point of this passage. I want to be very clear the main point of this passage is to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the whole purpose that Paul of what Paul is saying here, that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There is no other point. It's how we go about bearing each other's burdens that is important for us to understand. But let's keep the main thing the main thing. So in order for us to become a church that grows together, we need to become a church who is better at bearing each other's burdens. Better burden bearers. I'm going to get that. You're going to be saying that. You ho- hopefully on your way home tonight, you can say that five times fast. We need to become a church that is better at burden. Man, I can't say that. Better burden bearers. That's what we're trying to do. So the main point is for us to become better burden bearers. Bearers. And so, in order for us to get the muscles, so to speak, in order for us to get, come to a place where we can get better at this, I have from this passage four exercises to bur, uh, bearing burdens. Man, this is going to be really tough for me tonight. Four exercises for, for bearing burdens. We need to develop the muscles so that we as believers can help each other in bearing burdens. So exercise number one as we look at this passage together is that we need to get better at walking by the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit. This is all over the, uh, the book of Galatians. I'm not just saying this. I know sometimes talking about The spirit, walking in the spirit becomes a little bit nerve-wracking for us because we have an idea in our mind of what that looks like. But we can read in the book of Galatians, and as we'll talk about in here a few moments, we need to become better and we need to exercise walking in the spirit. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When Paul says that if anyone is caught in transgression, he is not talking about somebody who is willfully choosing to live in sin. He is talking about a believer who has fallen into sin and has become trapped. We've all seen these people who almost snuck up on them. Things seem to be going well, and then something out of nowhere comes into their lives and all of a sudden, we don't see them in church as much anymore or they're sitting uh, at a place where they're isolated and we know something's going on, right? We've, we've all seen this happen, but we've seen people who get trapped and caught in sin. So Paul says that if anyone is caught in sin, I also, as a side note here, it's not our job to be like on the, on the lookout. You know what I mean? Some of us love that. It's like, hmm, who here is living in sin tonight? I'm going after that person, right? Because it distracts us from the fact that God's actually brought us here to deal with our own hearts. So let's not be people who are on the hunt or the prowl for people who are living in sin. But if you see somebody who is caught in sin, it's our job to come alongside and to help bear that burden with us, with them. So he's talking about a believer who has fallen into sin and has become trapped. I also want to be clear when Paul says, you who are spiritual, right? He says, you who are spiritual should restore him. He's not talking about a super holy group of people who are in the church, the spiritual ones. They're the ones who have to bear the burdens of other people's sins. When he says, you who are spiritual, he's addressing everybody in the church because we're all spiritual, right? So it's The job of everybody in the church to bear the burdens of others. He's not talking about just one group of people who is elite at the top. It's their job to bear the burden. No, it's the body of Christ being the body of Christ at its best. It's, It's you as you talk and connect throughout the week as you have opportunities to greet one another and you're aware of something that might be taking place in somebody else's life that maybe somebody else doesn't, right, but you know them, you have a relationship with them, and so it's your job as the spiritual ones to help bear the burdens of others. It's not somebody else's job, it's your job. Paul is talking about all believers because each of us is spiritual. We are instructed then to bear each other's burdens in the spirit of gentleness. This is directly connected to the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I would go as far to say that walking by the Spirit is not some mystical out-of-body experience, right? That's what we think oftentimes when we think of people who are walking by the, by the Spirit. We think of these like people who kind of just float everywhere, right? They're just like, that's the spiritual person. You know what I'm talking about? We, we get this idea that to be spiritual means that you're somehow at a higher uh, level, but that's not what it means to walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit is to have faith in God in such a way that you see the fruit of the Spirit produced in your life, At times when you wouldn't typically expect it, when you could respond out of anger, but instead you choose to respond in gentleness, that's the fruit of the Spirit at work in you. When you choose to be patient with somebody instead of passing judgment on them, and in that moment where you wanna respond out of your flesh, you sense the Holy Spirit leading you to respond in the fruit of the Spirit, that is what it means to walk by the Spirit. So if you plan on being a burden bearer, which again, you're required to do by Scripture, then you need to be aware that the message of warning here in this passage of Scripture is not directed to the one who has fallen, but to the one who aims to help the one who has fallen. There's a warning that we read in uh, this passage, to keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, often the key to successful accountability is not solely dependent upon the person being held accountable, but it depends on the humility of the one who is holding the person accountable. Let me say that again. So often, the key to successful accountability is not solely dependent upon the person being held accountable, but the humility of the one who is holding the person accountable. When Paul warns us to keep a watch on ourselves lest we too be tempted, he is not talking about sin as though it's contagious, right? Like, oh my goodness, I better not get near that person who's struggling in sin because I might accidentally fall into the same sin, it doesn't make sense, right? It's, it's not that the sin is contagious. It's that we would sometimes rather grieve or we'd sometimes rather not grieve over another person's sin because we actually get a sense of joy by realizing that we don't struggle with the same sin. Right? How true is that? Instead of grieving over another person's mistakes and faults, it's like, whew, I'm glad I was never an addict. Whew, I couldn't, woo. I'm glad I never got caught in adultery or, right, oh my goodness, I feel so much better about myself because my sin is so much less in our eyes in comparison to the sin of the person who's caught in sin, right? And so it's so easy for us to become so prideful and rather than grieve over another sin, we sometimes find joy in realizing that we have a leg up on them because we're just a little bit better than they are. And that's pride, and that's the sin that Paul is warning us against when he tells us to bear somebody else's burdens, that we shouldn't take it like, oh man, we're just giving a handout, right? We're just helping this person come along. They're not, they're not quite where I am yet, but maybe one day if they grow up, they can get to the level that I'm at, so come along, and we kind of have a leg up on them a little bit, and so we have to be cautious that we don't allow that attitude and that sin to sneak into our way of helping others. This is called pride, and it's often the biggest struggle in the church. And pride will inhibit burden bearing as, as the prideful are most often too conceited to bend over and help carry somebody else's burdens That is why Paul explains that we need to exercise our ability to walk in the spirit and produce the fruit of the spirit, which is gentleness in our lives. The first exercise that we need to get better at is walking in the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We need to get better at walking in the fruit of the spirit, walking in the spirit. The, sex, the second exercise, exercise number two, is that we need to work towards fulfilling the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is for all of my fellow rule followers out there. Where are my rule followers at? Yes, right, come on. I know you're out there. I'm a rule follower. I make up rules to follow. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like if there's like a set, list of rules, I make five or six more rules, so I don't even get close, right, to breaking the rules that exist, that's just what some of us do, so this is for all of my fellow rule followers, we need to fulfill the law of Christ, that scratches our back a little bit, all right, there's a rule for me to follow, there's a guideline here for me, I'm set, I'm good, I know which way to go, and it's interesting that Paul would use this language, right, right? but it's most likely that he's trying to get at something here. So he's trying to dissuade the people who are following the old law, the law of Moses, and now he's saying that don't follow those rules, don't follow that law, follow the law of Christ. So Paul is trying to get at something. The church in Galatia was so focused on the law and fulfilling the law that Paul invokes the same language to make a point. This is actually a term, the law of Christ, that we don't see anywhere else in scripture. And the idea is, that Paul is trying to make a point here, but the idea here is that by bearing each other's burdens, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. If it's important for us to feel like there has to be some sort of rule for us to follow, then we should focus our energy on fulfilling Christ's law. What is the law of Christ? It is the law of love. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The law of Christ is the law of love. We are to love one another. So there you have it. The law of Christ is the law of love. So let us be reminded of Jesus, who is our ultimate burden bearer, amen? Jesus is the ultimate burden bearer. He sets the example for us of what it means to bear the burdens of others. He sets the example of how we ought to live. He sets the standard for how we should treat others, how we should bear each other's burdens. Mark 10, verse 45. It says that Jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. First Peter, chapter two, verse 24. He bore our sins in his body on a tree. In Isaiah 53, verses four through six, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is the ultimate burden bearer. So might we be like Christ? Might we try to fulfill the law of Christ and in a heart of love? Might we, instead of judging others, not, not just come to church to be served, but would we come here to serve? to turn to one another and see how we're doing and see if there's anything that's going on in each other's lives that we could help bear that burden as well. So by looking to Christ, we are reminded of our own sin and shame that he bore and we ourselves are encouraged to become burden bearers like him. By doing this, we are exercising our freedom in Christ and we are fulfilling the law of Christ. By bearing each other's burdens, we are fulfilling the law of love. So we need to exercise this law of love. Instead of having a law that says people need to measure up to my standard, we need to begin exercising a different law, the law of love, by being like Christ and uh, bearing the burdens of others. The third exercise is self-assessment. We need to do a self-assessment. For some of us, This is the only time that we ever do self-assessment. We're busy all week, we've got a lot going on, we come to church and this is the only time that we actually have the opportunity to see how it is that we're doing spiritually and I would encourage you that at the end of the services when there's a moment for us to spend time together in worship to respond to the word of God, don't try to get out of here as quickly as you can. But take those few moments at the end and, and really allow the Holy Spirit to do a work on your heart and really allow for some self-assessment to take place and to say, search my heart, O oh God. So the third exercise is self-assessment. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor This next exercise is critical for us in order to become better at bearing burdens. We must not be self-deceived. We mustn't lie to ourselves. We're so good at that, right? We're so good at lying to ourselves. If we're not careful, the sin of pride can flatter us. Man, I'm telling you, it's deadly. Convincing ourselves that we are something that we are not that we are less sinful than we really are, more faithful and more gracious than we really are. And we must get into the habit of assessing ourselves regularly so as not to lie to ourselves. Kent Hughes says self-conceit is fatal for burden bearing because it turns us into judges rather than burden bearers. If we're prideful, We're never going to be able to bear someone else's burdens because we're always going to think that we're better than them. We're going to always judge them. And we're going to always think that, you know, they're the problem. They should be able to figure it out. They got themselves into that mess. They should be able to get themselves out of that mess. But remember, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who gets us out of the mess that we've been in our whole lives. It was never us it was never our own ability. It was Jesus who took us up, up out of the muck in the mire, right? It's Jesus who put our feet upon the solid rock. It wasn't you who pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. So they're not going to be able, people living in sin, we can't expect them to be able to do it on their own. It's Jesus who pulls us out of our sin, out of our shame. And as long as self-conceit is in our lives, as long as there's pride in our lives, it will become fatal for us to bearing burdens. We need to get into the habit of praying Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In addition to proper self-assessment, we need to be cautious of comparing ourselves to others. We can't help it though, can we? We love comparing ourselves to other people. If you ask me, it's the only reason Facebook exists. (laughs) It's the only reason Instagram exists. It's the only reason any form of social media was invented. We love nothing more than when we are bored to scroll through Facebook or Instagram and to compare our lives to the lives of other people and to think to ourselves, I'm not doing as bad as they are. Or to think to ourselves of, man, I wish I could be on vacation right now. They're always on vacation. You know what I mean? We're, we're constantly comparing our lives with the lives of other people. We're never satisfied with how our lives are going, how our lives are going. So we compare our lives, for better or for worse, I would say for worse, with the lives of everyone else. We spend more time observing other people living their lives than we actually do living our own. That drives me nuts. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of it. But I wanna live the life that God gave me to live. I don't wanna watch somebody else live their life. I wanna live the life that God has called me to live and I don't wanna compare my life constantly to others, never living the life that God has given me. It's our lives that we are ultimately accountable for and we need to get into the habit of testing our own motives, our own work, we do this by comparing our lives not to others, but once again to the law of Christ. If we're comparing our life to the life of other people, we're shooting too low. We need to compare our lives to Christ. And then we realize, oh, we all got a lot of work to do. We all have a long way to go. I am nowhere near being like Christ. And so we need to get our eyes off of comparing ourselves to others and we need to get our eyes under christ and say man that's where i'm headed if you want to come along for the journey let's go we're all going to pursue living like christ our ability to love others and help carry burdens is dependent upon us not comparing our lives to others We must compare our lives to the lives of Christ. That is the only standard by which we should measure our effectiveness. Listen to this passage of scripture. I think it says it perfectly. 1 Corinthians 4, verses one through five. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful then each one will receive his uh, commendation from God. When we stop comparing our lives to the lives of others, it allows us to move beyond ourselves and it frees us to bear the burdens of other people. Lastly, exercise number four, keep the end in mind. This is the last point and then I'll close. For each will have to bear his own load. This is a critical step for us in bearing burdens. At first, it might sound contradictory. Paul says that we need to bear each other's burdens and then here at the end, he says that we all have to carry our own load. But the reality is is that we all have our own stuff to deal with, am I right? And sometimes in life, we've got more than we can deal with and that's when someone comes alongside of us and they help us get to where we need to be. But at the end of the day, only you will stand before God and give an account for your life. At the end of the day, you will stand before an all holy God and while you might not have to fear eternal separation from God, otherwise known as hell, although you might not have to fear that, you will have to give an account for everything you did in this life and there will be nobody else standing by your side your entire life's work will pass through the fire, scripture says, and some things will be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble, and yet other things will come out as precious jewels and as precious stones. We're gonna have to stand before an all holy God and only we are gonna have to give an account for our lives, nobody else. So it's important for us to keep the end in mind, to keep our eyes on Christ and to realize that one day we will have to face a form of judgment. It's not hard to think highly of ourselves, or it's hard for us to think highly of ourselves when we compare ourselves to Christ. But when we stand before an all-holy God, man, it's a different story, right? We might compare ourselves to others and think, I'm doing pretty good. But when I stand before God and have to give an account, I got a little bit of work to do. (laughs) I have to become a better burden bearer. So we ought to get into the habit of thinking about the day that we will stand before God. Believe it or not, this is an incredible help for us while we bear the burdens of others. It's our job as believers to serve each other now in love because that is the measure by which we will be judged when we stand before God. So again, I ask just at the closing here, when did the church become an unsafe place for us to bear each other's burdens? As we go through this series, we want to become a church that it's all right not to be all right. We wanna be a church where it's safe for people to be vulnerable and it's safe for people to say that they're struggling. A place where we bear each other's burdens because we know that each of us will one day stand before God. So let's exercise our ability to bear others' burdens by walking in the spirit fulfilling the law of Christ, testing ourselves, and keeping the end in mind. Let's pray.